0: Escape Pod, for June 2nd, 2005. Today's story, In His Footsteps, by Polly Martens. Hi, I'm Steve Ely, this is Escape Pod. I want to talk for a minute about why I'm doing this. I've had occasion to spend a little while this week trying to find the answer to that myself and I think it comes down to two reasons. One is that podcasting sounded like fun, I liked the sound of my own voice, and I was bored. That's honest, but not very deep. The other reason, I think, has to do with a story that I read in the January issue of the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. It's a great magazine, one of the all-time favorites for writers. But, of course, no magazine can please all of its readers all the time. This story was called, and this is the exact title of Keyboard practice, consisting of an aria with diverse variations for the harpsichord with two manuals. Now, science fiction has been around for a very long time. There are academics who make a living arguing how long, but it's well over a century by anyone's reckoning. For most of that time, the short story was the firmament of the science fiction universe. It's where the ideas hatched, where the really strange and the awe-inspiring grow up together. There was a lot of amazingly bad short fiction written in the mid-20th century, but mostly it was a dynamic bad. It suffered from an excess of energy and instead of not enough. Today, well, the genre's grown languid. It's gone introspective. There are still inventive stories being written. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing this. But a lot of the field, too much of the top of it, isn't strange or challenging or even that much fun. A lot of it's become keyboard practice consisting of an aria with diverse variations. This rant will be continued. Meanwhile, today's story is a fun one about why phenomenal cosmic power just isn't for everyone. It's called In His Footsteps by Paul E. Martens. Paul was a winner of the Writers of the Future contest in 2000. He's had stories published in 3SF, Andromeda Spaceways, In-Flight Magazine, and he appears to suffer an identity crisis by appearing in two anthologies, I, Alien, and Why I Hate Aliens. This particular story comes from Space and Time magazine. Now, lie down on the floor and put a newspaper over you. It's story time. In His Footsteps by Paul E. Martens The world ended yesterday. Just as it ended the day before yesterday, and the day before that. Just as it will probably end again today. And I'll have to watch it all over again. That beautiful blue orb, floating serenely in space, suddenly erupting into a white-hot ball of plasma, everything on it vaporized. Everyone vaporized. Gone. Again. I'm getting tired of it. Okay, I get it. I'm sorry. I made a mistake, and I'm sorry. Can we move on now? Please? It started about two weeks ago, the night God came to dinner. The dinner was not what you would call an unqualified success. The best that could be said for it was that we survived, and Uncle Dennis couldn't even say that much. That was my fault too, I guess. I pissed God off, and all of your major religions will tell you that that's something you want to try and avoid. But I still think of him as Dad, and when was the last time you just meekly did what your father told you to do? Okay, sure, your father isn't God, but mine wasn't always God either. Before those final experiments, he'd just been a regular father as far as I was concerned. He went to work, came home, ate dinner, watched TV, messed around in his lab. I guess that I somehow just assumed that other fathers also accidentally released microscopic creatures, causing whole cities to be evacuated, or made their families have to move because of the crater where their house used to be. Now and then he remembered I existed— and he played catch with me in the backyard. He really wasn't very good at it, but I appreciated the effort. Of course, even as a kid, I knew he was brilliant. How could I not? He was always advising presidents, or being interviewed, or off somewhere getting an award. I certainly knew enough to be impressed when he won his Nobel Prize in Physics, and even more impressed when he won the second one for chemistry. The fact that he felt he had been cheated out of his third for biology by a rival is why a certain university no longer exists but I also knew how tough it was on me to have him for a father. My teachers were never completely able to hide their surprise and disappointment that I wasn't brilliant, too. They resented being robbed of the opportunity to be part of the molding of a second-generation genius. They assumed that I was coasting on Dad's reputation, or that I was rebelling by not giving a damn, or that I had some sort of organic damage. I wasn't a bad student. I got A's and B's, even made the honor roll a few times. But I wasn't brilliant. I wasn't dad. By comparison, they must have thought me barely sentient. So I got by in my science courses and tried really hard in any class that wasn't science. I went to a liberal arts college and majored in American lit. I liked the fact that if Eudora Welty bit my father on the ankle, she could be Thomas Pinchon for all he knew. I would know something he didn't. I got a job at a bookstore. I wrote some poems, good ones, not brilliant, but one or two actually got published. I started a lot of short stories and tried a novel, but I never got very far with any of them, never knew what it was I had to say. Maybe I was scared that nobody would like them, that the only way I could be accepted was because of who my father was, not because I was any good. Anyway, I met a girl named Gwen, with red hair and freckles, and we moved in together. I'm sure Dad noticed I wasn't an academic superstar, even before he was omniscient. Maybe a part of him even hurt a little that I didn't try harder, but he never really pushed me to follow in his footsteps. Until he became God. Then he decided that he wanted me to join the family business. Gwen and I went to my mother's for dinner. Mom's brother Dennis was there with his wife Katrina. Dad was already God by this time, of course, but even though most of the world seemed to think it was pretty neat having a hands-on kind of deity for a change, what with his performing various miracles and so on, we didn't talk about him much in the family. Despite his ending famines, stopping blights, making coffee taste as good as it smells, and so on, for some reason we were embarrassed to be related to God. Mom was crying as usual. She hadn't really completely stopped crying since the day Dad was transubstantiated, though she slowed down from time to time, and was often able to get out whole sentences between sobs. She hadn't always been like that. She'd been the grounded one. With Dad off in some theoretical wonderland... Mom was the one who ran the house and paid the bills while teaching high school math. I think she felt that having her husband become God reflected badly on her as a wife. Uncle Dennis was as grim as ever, trying to arrange his fleshy features into an ascetic scowl to direct at Mom for having married Dad. He had another scowl for Gwen and me. He knew we were living together, and I think he suspected we might be having sex, too. Had he had some handy, he probably would have wielded scourges. He didn't bother scowling at Aunt Katrina, it was assumed. She sat on the edge of her seat, wringing her thin hands and waiting to do Uncle Dennis's bidding, or to speak when spoken to. A typical family gathering. We hadn't been expecting Dad. Nobody, inside the family or out, ever really had a clue of what he was up to, or why. But when the voice came from the suddenly flaming tomato aspic, we knew who it was. He said. And he really did sound like God, or at least like John Huston in an old movie.
1: I'm going to be leaving for a while to check on some things in another solar system, so I want to make you God too, to keep an eye on affairs around here while I'm gone.
0: I thought God was everywhere.
1: Yes, well, I haven't really gotten a handle on the omnipresent thing yet.
0: The aspect dimmed slightly, as if its thoughts were elsewhere for a moment.
1: Anyway, brace yourself. This might sting a little.
0: But, Dad, I already have a job. I was uncomfortably aware that I sounded just like I did when I was ten years old, and he told me to take out the garbage while I was watching cartoons.
1: I don't think you really mean to equate your job at the bookstore with the unlimited power I'm offering you, do you? That infinitely patient, poor inadequate
0: Keith with the barely serviceable brain tone of voice had always irked me. It was even worse with the DeMille sound effects. Forget it. I work hard, and I like what I do. I don't want to be God. Jeez, did I have to sound so petulant?
1: You work hard? Thundered the quivering Aspic. You work hard? Do you know what I had to go through to get where I am? Do you understand the difficulties in unifying all the scientific disciplines I had to master? Nobody else ever came up with a workable theory of everything. Not Einstein, not Hawking. Nobody. Can you conceive of what it cost me to apply that theory? What I go through each and every day? It's not just people, you know. Consider the sparrows or the lilies of the field. This is God you're talking to, young man. Blasphemy! Uncle Dennis had been concentrating his scowl on the aspic until he
0: could contain himself no longer. "'He had a pretty good Old Testament voice himself, "'and he used it to rant and rate about idolatry "'and false gods and things for about five minutes "'without taking a breath until Dad let him have it. "'Zap!' There was a pillar of salt in the chair where Uncle Dennis had been. "'That got Mom going again, "'weeping and wailing with gale-force intensity. "'She may have even gnashed her teeth. "'As I said, she hadn't always been like that, "'but at that point any little thing could set her off.' Aunt Katrina struggled to keep from appearing indecently relieved, even though she couldn't prevent a quiet hallelujah from slipping out. I'm sure she couldn't help but feel that she'd just gotten a divorce by divine decree. There was a gleam in Gwen's eye, and she was kneading my thigh underneath the table. Although it charred the roast beef and the mashed potatoes, and scorched Mom's good tablecloth, the tomato aspic continued to burn without being consumed. Of course, Mom's tomato aspic never got consumed, I don't know why she kept making it. Somehow, I felt its attention return to me. Uh, you know, Dad, uh, sir... I gulped and looked over at Uncle Salt. I think I do kind of see your point after all. Why don't we go ahead and try things your way for a while? Thanks, Keith. The voice was still impressive, but more intimate.
1: I realize that I haven't always been the best father in the world. I wasn't always there for you when you were growing up. I'm glad I can do this for you. All any father wants is to make life better for his children. Why don't you get used to your new powers for a week or so, and we'll talk again before I go away. The flame suddenly went out. Mom was staring
0: at me. Aunt Katrina was looking at nothing much at all as she absently took a pinch of her husband to sprinkle on her roast beef. The gleam in Gwen's eye was a roaring fire, and her hand, though still under the table, was no longer on my thigh. By the time Gwen had finally had enough and I was able to get out of bed in the morning, I was looking forward to using my other new powers, even if I didn't really know what they were. As usual, my father didn't bother to explain things that were obvious to him. My boss, Miss Laver, started to give me a hard time for being late for work. She stopped, though, when I cured her hangover. Then I fixed it so Dr. Crawl, the nearly blind, retired English teacher who came in just to be around the books he could no longer see, could read the footnotes in a paperback from ten feet away in a dim light. Soon after I healed a paper cut for a customer, word about me spread. By the time I'd fixed a tooth for someone who'd lost a filling, and cured a corn for somebody else, the store had gotten so crowded there were even people in the science fiction section, and the line to get in went around the block. I was healing people left and right— "'Supplicants milled around me like traders in the commodities market, "'shouting out their ailments and trying to get my attention. "'Gout! "'Hemorrhoids! "'Acid reflux!' "'Miss Laver was pleased at first, "'until she noticed that nobody was buying anything. "'She pursed her lips and crossed her arms in front of her "'and seemed prepared to wait it out, "'believing that she could at least count on advertising the store "'as the place where Keith the Miracle Worker had gotten his start.' That was when she thought it would be the halt and the lame, and the deaf and the blind, though. She kind of freaked out when she saw the store filling up with people with communicable diseases. "'Out!' she screeched, trying to make herself heard over the moaning and crying and beseeching. "'Keith, get out of here right now and take these infections with you!' We all piled out into the street, and I tried to accommodate as many people as I could, but I had to make choices. There were just too many of them. There was a woman who wanted relief from her crow's feet, and a guy with allergies who prayed, ''Oh, Keith, son of God, take this burden from me that I don't have to use so many tissues blowing my nose all the time.'' Next to them was a little girl with bleeding sores. I cured her, ignored them. After a few hours, I had had enough. "Uh, ''Sorry, everybody. I'm going home now. Sorry I couldn't help you all. Maybe next time, okay?'' It wasn't okay. There was a lot of cursing and snarling and threatening. I was backed up against a wall. A group led by the noseblower started lashing together a crude cross out of a couple of police barricades. I considered smiting the lot of them, but settled for ascending into the sky and out of their reach. I smiled and waved as I floated away. When Gwen was through with me the next morning, I thought I could get back to my normal life— Apparently, Dad had not included omniscience among my powers, however, because when I tried to leave for work, there was a multitude hanging around outside my door, blocking the sidewalk. I didn't want to be late two days in a row, especially since I hadn't gotten any work done anyway, so I didn't take the time to eat my French toast and had a piece in my hand to munch on my way.
1: Hey, I've been waiting here all night.
0: Can I have a bite of that? As I looked at the man who said that, his words were echoed thousands of times over, Yeah, me too. I want some. Give me a piece. Somehow, I made that one piece of French toast feed everybody. Breakfast for 5000 Naturally, nobody was happy about it, though. It's cold. What kind of bread is this? Did you use white bread? What do you mean there's no syrup? What are you, stupid? I'm allergic to eggs. What else is there? Eventually, they got tired of complaining about breakfast and started clamoring for me to heal them, to give them inner peace. "'to make them rich or beautiful, "'to do their filing, which had gotten backed up "'while they were on vacation. "'I tried to get away from them, "'but they chased me down the street. "'Hey, help me! "'Save me! "'Me! "'No, me!' "'I couldn't avoid it. "'I had to do my parlor tricks. "'And it was the same thing all week. "'Every day became a trial. "'I couldn't do enough. "'They always wanted more. "'If I hadn't been omnipotent, it would have drained me. "'But, no matter how hard I tried, "'I wasn't my father.' As usual, people tried to measure me by the yardstick they used on him and found they should have been using a micrometer instead. I couldn't make it rain enough to stop a drought. Or I made it rain too much, and then I couldn't hold back the waters of the flood. I couldn't raise the dead. Not very far, anyway. And besides, I wasn't sure if Dad even wanted the dead raised. If he did, wouldn't he have prevented them from dying in the first place? But people wouldn't understand. Your father could have done it. Your father would have done it that way. Your father would have done it better. All right, they didn't come right out and say those things, but I knew what they were thinking. Finally, I decided I would show them all and show Dad at the same time and do one super-duper, extra-special, eye-popping, spectacular miracle. In retrospect, of course, it was none of those things. In fact, it obviously wasn't a very good idea at all. I decided there would be a worldwide day of fun and relaxation, and it would be called Keith Day. Yes, I know it wasn't a very clever name, but it was my idea, and I wanted the credit for it. And I know there's nothing miraculous about just making up a new holiday, but here's where the eye-popping spectacular part comes in. I thought, in fact, I was convinced, that I could fix it so everyone everywhere could celebrate at the same time. North, south, east, and west. It would be a warm, sunshiny day, say about one o'clock in the afternoon in late June, for the whole world at once. None of this stuff about being Tuesday in Hong Kong and Wednesday in New York or winter in Vancouver and summer in Sydney. I would make it daytime and summer for everyone. And I would provide a picnic lunch, including vegetarian, lactose free, and kosher meals I'd learned from the French toast incident. I thought I was brilliant. Everybody would have a nice day off, they would get fed, they would have the feeling they were sharing the day with everybody else everywhere, and they would have me to thank for it. I floated way up over the earth to get a good look at it. My plan was to take the incoming sunshine and spread it out evenly all over the globe. Instead, I incinerated the planet, and now I have to witness the destruction over and over again until my father feels I've learned my lesson. It happens again. I know the rocks and the trees don't scream. The fish don't scream. None of the people, none of the animals, have time to scream, yet I swear I can hear them all. Gwen and my mother and Aunt Katrina. Professor Crawl, The lady who owned the liquor store where I bought my lottery tickets. The kid who bagged my groceries. Everyone, gone in a flash. And I can feel the brief, intense agony of each and every one of them as if it is my own. Ow! I say. Dad is back. His voice comes from everywhere all at once.
1: Well, Keith, are you ready to put this little incident behind us and get back to learning the rest of what there is to be in God? No. Pardon me? This wasn't my idea, remember? I was perfectly happy with
0: my job at the bookstore.
1: But, Keith, I know you can do better than that.
0: I just want you to live up to your potential. Listen to me. I was happy. Doesn't that mean anything to you? There was a great, sad sigh. Then a ponderous silence. Key. Aren't you supposed to know everything? I said no. I don't want to learn to be God. I don't want to be God. I don't especially want to even be the son of God, but I guess I don't get much choice about that, do I? I realize I've gone too far. I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't mean that. I guess you must be pretty disappointed in me,
1: huh? He sounds surprised. Disappointed? No, not at all. I've never been disappointed in you. You're my son. That's all you ever had to be for me to love you. I was just trying to help, doing what I could to make your life better, as any father would. I guess my infallibility could use a little work.
0: I want to make it on my own, with your help. I know. I want to make you proud of me, but I can only do what I can do. I know. The problem is, I don't know what I can do that will make you proud. I never knew even before you were God. And now that you are God, nobody knows what you want. I give him a look wherever he is. You've never been real communicative, you know. It's only gotten worse, too. Now you've got a whole planet full of people wondering how to please you.
1: I feel him shrug. I know. I can do just about anything. But I've never really been very good with people. I don't know what to say to them. An idea hits me. I mean, bam, it hits me.
0: What about a Bible? The new, improved, revealed word of God. I get the impression he's interested. You tell me what you want to say, and I can write it for you.
1: Yes, and that way we can still work together. Really get to know each other. It's perfect, we say it together. We beam at
0: each other. I'm pretty much blinded by his beam, of course, but I'm shining too, and not just with his reflected light. So I become just a regular guy again, except for certain powers I keep to make Gwen do her share of beaming, too. I'm going to write the bestseller of all time. Life is good. Except, what do I do for an encore? Okay, folks, thanks for listening. As always, you can go back and comment on today's show at our website, escape.extraneous.org. If you weren't completely satisfied, you can return the product for a full refund. New feature alert! Escape Pod is steadily clawing its way toward becoming a full-featured magazine, and one of the things we're now going to offer are book reviews. Not from us, from you. We've got a voicemail line now, like every other podcast, but instead of just comments on the show, we'd like your opinions on books. Any opinion, good, bad, or ugly, give us a call at 206-666-EPOD, I think that's really cool. That's 206-666-3763. And leave us a one-minute take on a book you've read recently. You can give us your name or not, but of course definitely give the title and the author of the book. Each week we'll play one of these reviews in this space near the end of the podcast. The usual uh, shout-outs, TelltaleWeekly.org for fine audio content, Pottyobooks.com for more fine audio content, and if those aren't enough, find yourself a good podcast client and start clicking buttons. I'd like to give special thanks to the Dragon Page for playing our promo on Winging It. Michael and Evo were the king and the... other king of science fiction podcasting. Thanks to Doug Triggs for our awesome new graphic design. If pictures were sound, I'd have a big whooshing noise for you right now. And finally, a shout-out to Mer Lafferty of Geek Flu Action Grip for being Mer Lafferty. Remember, money you give us via our, our PayPal link goes straight to our authors. I have it on good authority that authors like to eat. Please... Help us help them. Escape Pod is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial no-derivatives license. If this were a car commercial, I'd be talking very, very fast right now to detail a fine print of the license. But it's not, so... Just go there and click on the thing. Music is by Daikaiju. Three men in kabuki masks with the power to melt eardrums. They have promised to use this power for good. Support them at daikaiju.org. That's it for this week. Tune in next week when we announce a date that's seven days greater than this one. Until then, go read something, and then call us at 206-666-EPOD and tell us about it. And have fun.